I think the faith helps us to do not allow to war to kill our souls. Basically, you try to focus on how not to become like an enemy while fighting the enemy. That's Father Volodymyr Radko, a priest of the Ukrainian Catholic Archeparchy of Philadelphia. Father Radko recently returned to the United States after being ordained back in February of this year in his native Ukraine. Thanks for spending a few moments with us here at CatholicPhilly.com. We are the digital media channel of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. I'm your host, Gina Christian. Well, days after Father Radko received holy orders, Russian forces invaded Ukraine in a full-scale attack that continued assaults dating back to 2014. Father Radko himself was unable to leave Ukraine until a few weeks ago. And after his arrival in Philadelphia, our editor Matt Gambino and I sat down with Father Radko to discuss how the war had impacted his faith, especially amid the celebrations of both Holy Week and the Easter season. Let's take a listen. The war caught me in Lviv. Um, I still remember that morning. Uh, it was day before I had to leave uh, to go back to the United States. And this is one of the biggest uh, Ukrainian cities on the west of Ukraine. And um, basically, I was all the time there. Um, I was visiting a couple of times my parents, uh, who, stay, who stays uh, with my grandmother. Uh, 40 miles south of Lviv. It's a small city, um, no big infrastructure, so it makes it make makes it this city safe. Um, although they can, my mom told me they saw the missile flying over the city going to Lviv. So um, basically, but there is no targets for the military right now there, so it makes it safe. So basically, I was only in these two cities, and I made three times to the border. Um, so I was on the first d days at the border, uh, then I was helping with the humanitarian help, and the third time when I crossed the border ready to go to the United States. And this was Poland, right? You went yeah, to the yeah, Polish border? Yeah, always it was Polish border. Did you experience any difficulty getting out of Ukraine to Poland? Well, basically, since I'm Ukrainian citizen and I'm 31, so I, I fall under the mobilization law, uh, but, um, and there's only couple, I guess, like four or six um, exemption from that. Uh, and the priests are not in that exemption uh, policy. But uh, the church tries to get uh, the priest out of the country, especially those who serve outside of, uh, of Ukraine. And knowing that there's, I guess, like more than three million people left, they need priests as well. So now the, the patriarchal courier the main office of the head of the church applying for each priest case by case and then the state give permission to particular priest to cross the border and it's tied to your passport so they check your passport if you're allowed to leave or not from the country so i get the, this kind of permission to leave the, the country i see thank you now at mm. one point the first time i talked to you it was kind of that i've just been ordained oh my goodness this is happening yeah. i noticed the second time i talked to you that was about two three four weeks into the war yeah. and i could see that there was a sense of solemnity that's that you had seen some things talk a little bit about how your experience changed from when you first realized the war was starting to that time that I talked to you. Well, I guess it's psychological processes, like we adjust to new realities, it takes about three weeks. 
Um, and I guess that was about the time we got uh, our interview. And in the beginning, the war was far away. It was bombing. They bombed one on the first day of war, one city nearby Lviv. Uh, I guess they have military base there. And then it was just mainly on the um, capital and eastern and south Ukraine. Um, so, and we get the sirens uh, announcing that there is some da- air danger, so you need to go to shelter, sometimes a couple times a day. And the first days, it's like unreal, and there's that shock, uh, and you don't know what to do, and it's that's kind of interesting because you're not realize what's going on yet. You understand more or less, but um, because I was at the at the rear of the war, so I haven't seen the like uh, explosions, fires, uh, de- dead bodies on the streets. Um, so it makes it it takes more time to realize what, what's what's happening. But with the time, you realize it's real. Um, for me, the first experience of the um, that the war is something really, really grave and evil was uh, two things. The first, what I saw the f- first days at the border with the families fleeing, and then on the eighth or ninth day of war, a friend of mine who spent eight first day of days of war in Kiev, in the capital, and he came and he starts to share what he saw, what he experienced. And then I realized, well, I haven't seen the 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 ugliness of war in the, I would say, bloody part of the war. So that helped to realize more and more um, the gravity of the situation. And then uh, we get a couple days of the silence with the sirens. Uh, and then uh, when it was back, it was basically in the nights, um, often in the middle of the night. It affects the people psychologically, especially when you don't hear the sirens for five days. You think it's quiet before the storm. And then uh, the military base nearby Lviv was hit between Lviv and Poland. So you realized, well, these cruise missiles were were flying over the head. Uh, So it it makes it even more real. And I remember that day when they hit the, uh, the factory that used to repair the planes in Lviv. I was in Lviv. I haven't heard that, but I got the friends who live nearby and what they shared that makes it more and more real. So it takes time to realize that gravity, that poisonous uh, of war, uh, that it kills not only with missiles and, and it goes with time. You've described kind of a mounting sense of fear. Um, the folks you were talking to, your your countrymen, um, they're dealing with this fear, and you are a Muslim. How did you talk to them about dealing with fear and uncertainty? Did you what in terms of our faith? What did you speak with them about? Well, basically, um, we deal with fear with humor. <laughs> so, otherwise, it's impossible. Give an example. Uh, well, I remember, it's it's not my uh, story, but uh, on the Facebook, somebody, when we were sitting in the shelter for five hours, somebody wrote on Facebook, and what, they're using the bicycle to transport that missile to our place or not? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, because um, that tension, you don't need to mention that tension now. right now. You just uh, try to live as much normal as possible every single day. Because the reminders about the war and the fear 
are too many. You don't need to approve that while talking about that. Uh, and when you discuss, you discuss it, and um, but you you feel the hope from the people. They start to think, well, I remember once uh, somebody's birthday was, and somebody said, well, thank you, but we will celebrate that after victory. So, uh, so this is how we deal with that. Um, and I think the faith helps us to do not allow to war to kill our souls because it's that fear, anger, and that um, shock of seeing, for example, what we what we saw in the pictures in Bucha, uh, that anger is partially righteous because you see there's such huge evil, uh, and you cannot be not angry if you're not angry on seeing that uh, something wrong probably with you, but not how the faith help us not to go from the anger to the desire of vengeance and the hatred. So. Basically, you try to focus on how not to become like an enemy while fighting the enemy. And it sounds like this, the incidents like this, this kind of, uh, there's a resoluteness among the Ukrainian people. I find it really remarkable that um, not only the men who are asked to stay, but uh, the women, some women are staying as well. They're all taking up arms or whatever they can do to resist. Can you describe some of that resistance, that, that spirit of resistance that you found? Well, I think it's in our blood because mm. uh, through our history, we can see how Ukrainians were the fighters for, for the freedom. For this reason, there was um, in the 20th century a Holodomor, basically cause, because Ukrainians were somebody who revolt if uh, you, you, ta- you, you take their freedom. We saw that even in the 20th, uh, end of the 20th century and the 21st century with the different revolutions um, after the collapse of Soviet Union, especially 2004 or 2013, 14th. Um, so there is that spirit. So if we feel that threat and danger for our freedom, for our home, we just stand and fight. And... Um, and even, it's not only that the women decide to stay, those who left already is coming back right. home. Right. Um, and they try to be involved as much as they can on different level because uh, the front of the war is not only the one where there's the shooting and battles are. Uh, there is a front with the refugees helping them. Uh, and the economics, the economics should, uh, cannot collapse, cannot stop. Because, uh, well, it's already 40th day of war, and um, it's been like for a month and a half, the country was not living as it should live, so it will affect the economic. It's the springtime, so the agricultural, and Ukraine is considered as a basket of Europe and the world, so there are too many aspects to play around. So, and it means like there is not only one front when there are military fights, but uh, protecting uh, the, even the cities at the rear because there are a lot of diversions ha- could happen. So for this reason, the man forms the territorial defense. It's kind of the part of the military, but not military per se, uh, whose goal is to protect the civilians on the grounds uh, outside of the battlefields. And helping with the volunteering humanitarian aid, go to bring the groceries to those who are lonely. So it's different level of uh, helping each other and Ukrainians are really mobilizing that. 
one thing that has been so prominent in this war, which the bishops called out very early on, was morally won by Ukraine. And, and in fact, political analysts, it's very interesting to see. You haven't seen terms like moral clarity regarding a war, you know, in academic discussion or political discussion. But everyone's pretty much very clear that this is a morally clear war. But one of the casualties has been truth. Talk a little bit about the role that you saw of disinformation and misinformation playing in this war and maybe what it was like to hear, you know, some of the statements from the Kremlin that were so far off from what the experience of Ukrainians has been in this war. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I think this war um, in Europe, it's the first war in Europe in the 21st century since the Second World War. And... um, the role of social media could take, could take can take in the war and about the information what's happening is really prominent so it's difficult to to hide the information what's happening because of the people posting the pictures what they saw what they um, what they experienced and the instant messaging between the people so basically now it's easier to get the access to the battlefields or to the rears or, for example, to the refugee camps comparing to what happened in the middle of the 20th century. Uh, even though there are certain limitations of how we can use the social media publicly in Ukraine just not to provoke and not to give the targets to the enemy. And this is really strictly regulated by the state right now. And they can do that uh, by martial law. Uh, but the information can form your conscience and receiving what kind of information you receive means like how you see and perceive this war Uh, but as for Ukrainians well for example I got my uncle right now who is at the the front so you see that the reality of the war as it is and, um, and in face of such an evil there is we say there are a lot of grayness in the situation. The situation is not only black and white. We have to discern. We have to see the different sides of it. But in the face of such an evil, sometimes it's became clearer that there is sometimes only black and white. And in this perspective, sometimes to hear what what the Russian ambassador is saying and the United Nations at the Defense Council or what sometimes the Patriarch Kirill in Moscow saying is really, really striking uh, because you see how the the information they provide, it's not just like close to each other and with the small details, it's completely opposite to each other. And um, for me as Ukrainian who have been in Ukraine while the war and um, I don't know nobody who felt in the war yet, uh, but I know the people who know somebody. Like and hearing the the discourses of our enemy uh, of Russia, sometimes it's just ridiculous how you can believe in that, because you can say something whatever in political world. Sometimes you uh, you don't say what you really believe, but but the insistency with the Russians speak, sometimes it's really impressive that they really believe in what they speak. And that's really striking. For this reason, information, misinformation play very, very big role because it's form your perspective on the things. But I think the specificity of this war, it's it can be really seen in social media. And basically, you can get first-hand information 
unless, for example, as a Russia controls the social media very strictly. So truth is a casualty of war in addition yeah. in this case. Yes. And the church, especially the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, has been so strong from the beginning. But that goes back because what did, well, what did we miss in 2014? If you had to tell the, the Western world, what did we miss in 2014? Well, in 2014, it was not only resistance, it was a spiritual event. Uh, that was, uh, well, that was the first time the Ukrainians shed blood for the freedom. And um, probably it was, we often compare our exit from the Soviet Union as the book of Exodus of the Jewish people going out of the slavery of Egypt to the freedom. And probably for us, 2014, that was the passing of the Red Sea. So this is kind of the point after which there is no turn back. So if, for example, the Jewish people were rambling the Moses even before they got to the Red Sea, and it was easy to get back. When they crossed the Red Sea, there was the sea between the land of slavery and the promised land. But they still not reached the promised land. So I think the 2014 was that that really marked that point when it cannot be turned to the previous experience. Although it took some, st- uh, it, it takes more time. So for Jewish people, after crossing the sea, it took 40 years. Uh, also with the battles and fighting the enemies and, and even then taking possession of the Holy Land. For us, 2014, it was also beginning of, of this war. So this war began in, began in, 20, in 2014 with the occupation of Crimea and the start of the war in Donbass that was more, would say, there were more battles and wars in 2013 until probably 2016 when the agreement of Minsk would try to calm a little bit more uh, this tension. And uh, what happened in that, in, the, in that beginning of this war in 2014, that the Russia, who was one of the guarantors of Ukraine by Budapest Memorandum, when Ukraine gave up nuclear power, nuclear arms uh, in 1984, Russia became one of the guarantors of the borders of Ukraine. And here it violates uh, with misinformation, sending the troops without any recognition of the, the Russians saying, well, we are not there. But then the support that Russians gave to the occupied territories, well, it means like, if you're not there, like, what's happening then? So, and this has happened. And probably the the hope of the world politics was that that will satisfy the appetites of, of the Russia, but it didn't. Because nobody till till probably February 24th didn't really believe that uh, Putin will start this war. Uh, there was a couple times when they brought more armies to the Ukrainian borders, and and in, in this time that that was the same and happening. Well, he wants just to show his force and just like to push on the West and like to make some more agreements, but he will never dare to start the such a devastating war but and and, and did most ukrainians believe that that even though there were all these forces on the east and the north that it really wouldn't happen well we hoped uh we hoped that um 
It's the 21st century. The 20th century was devastating in Europe with the two world wars that killed probably more people than any previous wars ever. And uh, but I remember like 10 days before the war you can feel that some something in the air. So it was well for me I don't I haven't been in Ukraine since pandemic started so it's it's been 2 years I haven't been in Ukraine and I was in Ukraine for different reason this time for ordination. So I start to feel that heaviness of the situation after ordination. And you feel that in the people in the people when you talk to them and you you just like feel it. Uh because you feel that something could happen, uh, but even though you still hope that it will never happen, and you f- you you hope that um, the world that had to deal with the two world wars in the twentieth century will be able to 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 prevent the war, and especially with this all international organizations that were created just after war to prevent the war, then. <laughs> in which Ukraine and Russia takes part in these organizations. So there was that still that hope that Russia will not dare to start the war, would not dare to start, start this war. But it's interesting that you said, you know, you thought we would have learned, right? You thought we would have learned, but what does it say about human nature that we didn't learn? Well, the human nature is wounded by sin and you will never know. And uh, um, it depends. It's like... Our original sin makes its marks and being baptized in, into Christ and receiving the sacraments help us to overcome all of this uh, that the original sin, how he, wound, uh, how he wounded us, how it wounded us. But still, this fight for the human soul is continued. It's continued till the time of our death and we can lose the spiritual battle. And basically our patriarch in daily messages in the last 15, 20 days, he compares a lot this world to the spiritual welfare. So it shows that, well, um, being baptized and living today your Christian life, it doesn't mean you're, you're spared to be tempted and even to be trapped by evil. And for this reason, you encourage to continue your spiritual welfare warfare until the end. What can folks here um, listening to this podcast, uh, faithful people, how can they join in that spiritual warfare, not only in Ukraine, but across all our communities? Well, the prayer is, is crucial for that. And, um, and the image also was used a lot that Ukraine is being crucified right now, that ends not only by the Lord's passion, but it, it will be triumphed by his resurrection, gives us hope. So, but to not lost this hope in the sight of such an evil, because as I said, the emotions sometimes could be very, very strong and it could take over. So the prayer life, the prayer rhythm um, is crucial because it helps us to stay in touch with the Lord, even in the time when it's really hard to pray. And if you will ask any Ukrainian for the probably first couple weeks of the war, it was almost impossible to pray. It's impossible to pray because, and then there was all the questioning, well, at least I experienced that, all the questioning of the book of Job. Why this suffering? When it will end? 
So, but being in touch with the Lord through the prayer, being with Him and sharing with Him even our anger, and I would say, because uh, w- you mentioned that in the previous interviews, um, that uh, forgiveness, well, how you can forgive after what you saw in Bucha. But being honest with the Lord, allowing Him to act in your heart, that um, that could help to to preserve this hope and faith we have. And taking your small um, offerings helps you to be in the solidarity and unity with the other part of the church, other members of this same body of Christ who suffers immensely right now. So I would say this, and the almsgiving, uh, to give to the good cause, what we saved uh, from not buying meat on the certain days or, or from our deprivation, not just like to save that for my next vaca- vacation, but to, to share with those who really needs that who probably left their home only with a backpack and two kids and in backpack only the papers, the documents, and that's it. So, but always with the sight uh, through the lens of resurrection because otherwise it will be uh, very depressive. And that ties these really uh, daily activities that we do to this eternal realm, which is mm-hmm. resurrection. Yes. What does the resurrection of Ukraine look like? I don't know. We're still going through the, our calorie period. And if you ask um, Mary or a beloved disciple or Mary Magdalene who are at the foot of the cross, uh, what they expected the resurrection to be, I don't know if they could share that. I think we cannot share how it will be, but we know it will be. And our faith... Give us this hope that there will be resurrection. The question when and how, it's now not the question. And that was Father Volodymyr Radko of the Ukrainian Catholic Archeparchy of Philadelphia sharing his insights on faith amid the Russian invasion of Ukraine. If you'd like to support relief efforts for Ukraine, you can do so securely through the Archeparchy, which has established a dedicated humanitarian fund that's partnering with vetted organizations such as Caritas and several Ukrainian Catholic dioceses and universities. Visit the Archeparchy's website at UK. K-A-R-C-H-E-P-A-R-C-H-Y dot U-S. That's U-K Archeparchy dot U-S. You've been listening to CatholicPhilly.com from the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Thanks so much to our publisher, Archbishop Nelson Perez, our editor, Matt Gambino, to you, our listeners, and of course, to our Lord, without whom none of this would be possible. You can find us online at CatholicPhilly.com, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CatholicPhilly. I'm your host, Gina Christian, and until next time, may God bless and keep you.